Hello. Hey, brother. How you doing? I'm doing great, my man. How are you? Yeah, not bad. It's been a long day, but it's been a good day. Well, it's done. How's everything on your end? Uh, everything's good, man. Uh, why was the day so long? They're usually only 24 hours. Yes, but as you know, time is relative. <laughs> yes, and a minute can feel like a year when there's a crying baby. <laughs> that is the truth, my friend. <laughs> well, I, I hope we can reset. And uh, um, yeah, I just woke up. So I just woke up, got some coffee, and here I am um, ready to go. Well, your long day is just about to begin. Yes. Yesterday was a long day for me because there's a little bit of conflict, you know, over little things. And uh, like you said, a crying baby or, a, you know, a screaming, you know, not screaming, but an angry companion can also be really tough to deal with. Totally. It seemed to draw on for days, even though it's just hours. Yes, sir. That's... um. That's one place I don't want to go right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, we can talk about it if you want later. Uh, if you open up that can of worms. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole podcast in itself, man. I think that's a decade of podcasts, man, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, we we uh just we are just um trying to get organized because we're heading to Australia in about a week and a bit um so we're kind of like last minute buying clothes and and organizing um yeah just organizing paperwork you know um legal documents and then figuring out travel plans and then yeah it's pretty intense and um you know to be honest killer and i are going to get married in australia so that's you are yeah we're going to get officially married in australia which is probably long overdue like by six and a half years um and i didn't i didn't i didn't hear that i knew you were going to australia with the fam for six weeks and et cetera, et cetera. but i didn't know about that but that's pretty cool man yeah i know it's it's cool we're just gonna have like a really small ceremony and nothing really crazy or special um but you know killary just wants to get dressed up a little bit take some photos so we're just organizing that but it'll be it's it'll be good if we get like there's a there's quite a few reasons for it, but one reason is is that there is nothing really in Australia that connects me to Killary. So if something happens to me, you know, there's besides my daughter now that she's connected, but Killary's got kind of no legal standing in Australia. So that's that's a big thing for her. And um yeah, I think it just ties your family together a bit better, you know. I've got my stepson, I've got my daughter, you know, if we go work overseas, we've got, you know, some document that says you know we're a family take us seriously and there's that too and uh, and i think you know last but not least but i, I think it not that killer needs certainty but i think it's nice for your partner to say okay we've we're committed to this relationship you know emotionally and legally right but not that it really makes a difference man to be honest with because i I mean what they call um Mar i can't remember what it's called maritel maritel union etch i think it's called yeah it's like a de facto relationship in colombia where you basically say after you've lived together for a while you become a family and legally you know that you're responsible for each other basically so we've had that but yeah it's 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 kind of going to be cool but there's just a bit of things i had to buy 
you know, clothes and a ring. And now I literally have no fucking money left. My selfish, my, 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 I would, I guess selfish might be a strong word, but my selfish, selfish angel would on the shoulder would say, yeah, all that stuff's stupid. Like I hate the, this need for this contract or, or all the clothes and the ring and all these things that just don't seem to really be as important today. Um, while, while those voices go on in my head, there's also the, 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 you know, the other, the, the other side, the other shoulder, um, the good angel. And, uh, I just want to say that these moments for women particularly are extremely important and it's something I don't think we understand. Uh, I don't, I don't understand. And I don't think a lot of men do either. And I guess I just feel this, this urge, this fatherly urge to say, um, maybe be willing to, 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 to go ex excess a little bit, uh, only because it is a female, it is this, this, this princess story for women, you know what I mean? It's, um, and it's important because that is your other half. Um, and while I don't agree like with it, it's not for me to, it's not part of my, you know what I mean? That's not my, what do you say? My realm. That's not my, I don't really have much to say in that. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is that hopefully it doesn't break the bank, but this time, I think aside from kids having kids, this is the one, the biggest deal for women. And so I think it's worth, <laughs> no pun intended, it's worth the uh, the kind of what do you call, splurging, like on a special dress and on a special ring. And I know that, like I said, please hear me, that I don't, personally, I don't think it's important, but they do. And that's what's important is what they feel, is trying to meet their needs in this huge moment in their life. Um, so I guess that's all I'm going to say, man. I just, I know, like, I feel like it's a conflict in itself. Uh, cause it is for me. I didn't want a ring. I don't even wear jewelry. I don't even wear my ring. Um, but I had to buy one, you know? And, and I think at the time I was upset about it. And now I'm just like, you know, sometimes in this world, we have to sacrifice our own, you know, ourselves for the other and a happy wife is a happy life and if mama's not happy no one's happy so you know i guess that's all i can say sorry i, I know you weren't looking for advice i just that's my fatherly instinct dude that is my teacher instinct is to like provide some sort of different way to look at something you know no no it's 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 good and it's true it's definitely true like i i, I feel that too it's not really about you as a man it's about it's about them well, I can say, thank God my wife's been married before and divorced and she realizes kind of how stupid it is because, you know, the, the second time it's like, it's lost some of its shade, you know, because yeah. <laughs> it is, it is, it's, it's an expectation, right? It's like marriage is, you know, it's, it's an expectation and you have a, you know, picture in your head about what's, what's going to, you know, for a woman, especially, like you said, it's like, what is it going to be? What does it mean for me? How my life is going to be different. And then I'm going to have this white picket fence and, you know, but I think as a man, it's, it's, it's just like, it's a lot of consumerism in it and there's a lot of money that's involved and it's so like, is it really worth it? And I think 
it's nice to have and, and there's also the religious part of it as well like being married in a church and then having the, the obligation of inviting lots of people and then feeding all these people and you know then they're not you know these people are not even really a part of your everyday life and it's like why am i feeding my second cousin or, or inviting this person to come to a wedding and this per when something really happens if the shit hits the fan tomorrow this person is probably not going to help me right so you're you're inviting all these people and it becomes this very mer meretricious um false like a you know display of beauty and and, and wealth that's it's kind of pointless so yeah. you know I think, I think if it's like a nice little ceremony, it's between you and your wife and a couple of friends. It's just like, oh, we're going to just make this legal and, you know, we love each other and we're going to do our own vows and whatever. It's, it can be nice. Um, but yeah, I think you got to take, for me, I, I think you'd leave the expectations of what society is telling you. And, and, you know, in Australia, man, it's very common for people to spend now $30,000 wedding is nothing. You know, like it's fifty thousand dollar wedding, a hundred thousand dollars. Most people have spent fifty thousand dollars on a wedding, man. That's a lot of money. That, yeah, yeah. And you know, like absolutely. That's why, like I say, my, me, I don't think in many ways it's really that important of a ceremony, especially in today's world. But on the flip side, the 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 religious aspect of it is the one thing I. I, I, the story that comes from the religious side is the one thing I actually support because it's a commitment and it's a, it's a, it's a, I know it seems weird, but it's a form of patronage, right? It's a form of uh, providence for, for others. And, you know, there's the story in the Bible where Jesus, you know, the water to wine story, right? Everybody knows that one but people don't really know what really that's about. They just go, Oh, he was an alcoholic, you know, just like oh, God, I hate small minds that anyways, talk about things they don't know. But the reason he did that was because of the pressure from his mother. And it was because if he didn't do that, and this is the beginning of his mission. So he had like, and he, you know, I don't even think he was ready. I think he was pushed into it kind of like by his mom. Um, he wasn't ready to perform miracles, but he had to start eventually. Anyways, this family, if uh, if he hadn't done that, would have been shamed. So here comes this. Here comes a story of patronage and uh, providence um, for the betterment of don't even really know that well, like your second cousins and etc. So you know the thing about the religious side is because it's a union for for eternity between a man and a woman. And it's for the benefit, not always of the man and the woman, but for the child. And that is the thing is in today's world, I feel like people have forgotten that. Like everybody so selfishly gets divorces. They don't go through the fire. And it is, you know, it is scorching at times, man. Like, like relationships, right? They're so hard. And it's so easy just to throw them away in today's world where you can throw away your phone and buy a new one, throw your car away, buy a new one. It's this materialistic world, whereas that's not wasn't God's plan. God's plan is to create unity and harmony and to build us up stronger so that we can endure adversity and we can be sympathetic. And if we're just willing to throw everything away, well, 
but that, that's not doing any of God's plan, man. It's, and, and there's no victory in it, right? I mean, today's podcast is about personal growth and personal growth is about sacrifice. You know, it's about adversity and it's, it's seeing obstacles as opportunities uh, for growth. And so I respect that because I put the child first. That's why we call them the sons, right? Our son is the center of our solar system. It is our child. And it, there's no one more important than this child. And I, I mean, hey, please, let me be completely honest. I fuck up all the time. I'll check that right now, Stephen. Um, yeah, I mess up all the time. So my words, words are easy. Words are cheap. Actions are where it's at. Don't tell them your plan. Show them your plan. And I know that I have a lot of weaknesses, bro. I really do. And it's, it's unfortunate. Yep, you're back. Okay, hopefully, yeah. hopefully it gets better now. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, thanks. Um, I should try to default on that. I don't know how to default on that one. Like, cause it it automatically switches back to the two point four. Yeah, mine does too. It just switches to whatever's closer. So I'll just try to put that on my list of things to like preparatory stuff. Like, I'll get here fifteen minutes early and test everything. And uh, it's no worries. Yeah, but uh, but, but to add to that point, I went to a wedding recently, a Colombian wedding. And two Colombians got married and then they had a, a priest and the priest was explaining, he was like the difference between um, like a de facto relationship that, you know, Killer and I have compared to a marriage. And he said some stuff that I really liked. He was like, what he's, he was kind of critiquing the de facto marriage saying, oh, it's just a legal piece of paper that holds a family together. He's like, but what is it really meant to be? And he was talking about saying that it was meant to be a sacred pact between a man and a woman that is meant to have some kind of almost divinity about it. You know, it's this, this, this kind of thing that should be protected and should be, you know, you should be worshiping your partner in, in a way and like loving them and, and be, you know, using that divine or that, that kind of that same godly connection to create a relationship that matters. Um, and he kind of said the same thing too, which was, it is, it is a big deal. And especially when you have children, you know, the minute that you just give up, right? You give up on that relationship. When a child is growing up, it's the collateral damage on that kid. It, it hurts, right? It's not something that you should take lightly to get into that. It's not something you should take lightly to, to, to end it, especially when there's children involved. So I think what it does, it makes, it, it puts the responsibility back on you that, you have a responsibility to try your best to make it work, right? I think you have a responsibility to say, okay, things aren't working. What do I need to do to make it better? What things can I change? What things can I grow? How can we work together as a team? Because it's not just about you anymore. It's about you and you know one kid or five kids. And a lot of people stay together for children. And I'm not saying that's the best idea either. But I think you should try to stay together and try to grow together and fix your fix issues and conflict together and and have that mentality that's a, it's a precious thing to protect and i don't know if a lot of people have that it's just like you know we're getting married because it looks like a fairy tale right so yeah. i think that's a a part of it but we could probably talk about this all day um do you want to talk about do you want to we're gonna get into the podcast that we or do you want to talk about well, this? I, I think i i think this is actually kind of a great 
segue in, into our into this podcast because it is about personal growth and personal growth is all about uh well there's external and internal forces in this world in this life and uh that's what i'd like to examine and the the expectation of marriage is an external force um and a the the survival and longevity and divinity of marriage for the sake of the child is the internal because it's so hard for people to to change their thinking right and the, and we are all selfish beings to an extent and i think that's why a lot of marriages don't work and then kids are fucked they are literally fucked by this this experience and i have it firsthand my sister i can see it in both of us and that's okay it makes you know, these things happen and I accept it. And I think that it gives me a perspective. It gives me a very strong point of view now because of that, you know, and, um, and I, and I dig for, I dig for facts and scientific, scientific information to help support my strong feelings. And I found it with my master's in education. I have found it, dude, like, you know, the, the, the family unit, you know, uh, parental status is massive and it is a fact that all children benefit, ex, like, what's the word? I don't even know. In a huge way from having the father in the household. And um, it's just something that cannot be overlooked. Yet in today's society, you know, in media, uh, this this masculinity is deemed as a toxic thing when that's not what the data shows. The data shows that dada, it, the data on dada is that it is so important. It is vital for lifelong happiness, self um, respect, and um, for children. And it's both men, boys and girls uh, need their father. And of course, obviously they need their mother, but the data proves that the father has such a huge impact on family on uh, the child's happiness, like long-term happiness and quality of life. And, you know, it's just that present of tough love. Um, so yeah, so yeah, let's get into this, man. Let's get into this. Um, and let's try to figure some shit out. Yeah. And then that's a great point. And it's a great segue. I agree. Um, like if you're talking about adversity and talking about what are we talking about here? The power of, of personal growth and adversity, personal growth, especially, and how personal, personal growth is in a multifaceted parts of our lives. Marriage is a, is a really good one. And this is something I've thought a lot about too. And I, and I have this conversation with my, my, with my wife and I said, say to her, who would I be if I didn't get married? Who would I be if I didn't have children? And I look at people that are in their forties, you know, especially men in their 40s and late 40s that have stayed single and i've look at them and i feel like it looks like such a dissatisfying existence because it's kind of a, avoiding this responsibility of the family unit because it seems hard and then i look at why and like there's a lot of men that come to colombia for example where i live you know and there's an abundance of women and, you know, if you're a 45-year-old man, you can sleep with a 25-year-old girl here pretty easily, especially as a foreigner. You can have a 25-year-old girlfriend, right? I think we all know that. Um, so I, I just look at, okay, I'm going to be, if I was 45 and promiscuous and sleeping around with 25-year-old girls, but never really building towards a relationship because it's too hard and I'm too selfish and I don't want to have kids. It's like, I just feel like because you miss, you you choose to reject that, you do not have the personal growth that responsibility and the family unit gives you. And it's 
I get it. Like it's fun when you're 45 or 50 to date girls that are 20 years younger. It's it makes you feel good as a man. It's it's part of our biology DNA. We wanna we wanna be attracted to young women and we wanna sleep around. I think every man would love to sleep around as much as they can. But there's something it just becomes so un, unfulfilling. And I and, and the men that I've spoken to, I'm like, don't you get sick of it? Isn't it kind of ridiculous? You don't have any emotional connection. You're not building anything. You're just going from the next goal to the next goal. So what are you actually building? And it's just this, it's this constant it's avoidance of any type of responsibility and any type of of and I think with with that avoidance of responsibility comes the avoid it comes the direct um de- deprivation of personal growth. So I think a family, that responsibility and having a family and it's kind of like you're putting away the toys of when you're in your adolescence and you're putting away the toys of when you're a young man and you might be dating, trying to find the one, but you might be dating, just learning about yourself in the world. But like, what's the point? You know, what is that? What does that get you? Right. And I just feel like, you know, I'd love to hear your point of this is like, how has, you know, the responsibility of a family of having a kid change your point of view and, what happens to the individual if they don't decide, if they decide not to have a family? And I'm sure, you know, you can still grow up, but what are you depriving yourself of by not having the responsibility and going through the personal growth of having a family? Um, I think a lot of it, it's, it's many things. It's service, you know. Um, it's service. This is the thing, so it's so easy to focus on the self, right? It's our ego and it is our self-centeredness and there's a survival mechanism. There's there's a reason for this selfishness, but it has to be understood Um, and we need it for survival purposes. It has to be understood, but it also has to be managed in many ways. Um, But what was your question? Is it, is it how I, how I feel that, um, depriving yourself of having a family or yeah my question is like you know i guess what is the benefits of or like what personal growth if there was a young person listening to this podcast right now and they kind of feel like oh i don't want to get married because it just seems like a lot of work it's a lot of responsibility it's a lot of economic responsibility and you know i could potentially lose that or you know or i could go bad and i don't want to bring kids into this world because the world's a bad place you know, what would you say to those to those young people? In the, what advice would you give them, or what perspective do you have about how taking on more responsibility responsibility in a family unit is good for our personal growth? Well, it's like uh, interpersonal sympathy, right? It's social, emotional, socio emotional uh, strength, and it is good for the world. I, I believe it is. Uh, the only way we can live in a society is social animals or, or even in a community. Let's go to the microcosm in the household, from the house to the neighborhood, to the community, to society, nations, and the world as a whole. Um, the only way to avoid uh, extreme dissonance and suffering um, is to demonstrate and to practice servitude towards others. We are all part of one. We are all one. We are, you know, at the end of the game, the king and the pawn go back into the same box. We're all going to die and we all suffer. And like the Buddha says, 
we're born into a world of suffering and our job, our purpose here on earth is to reduce the suffering to the best of our ability, to reduce the sufferings of thyself as well as thy other. And um, that is the purpose, I believe, of of this, um, uh, for, like, I, for enduring uh, long-term relationships, right? It's so easy to just turn a back on somebody. It's so easy to pretend that there aren't people starving in the world. It's so easy to, 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 to see people as the cover of a book rather than the contents of their life and their experience, right? I mean, all of us are extremely challenged and we go through so many types of adversity based on our identity and our characteristics and our environment and, and the world around us. And it's hard and nobody, nobody wants to suffer. Suffering sucks, but that is a guaranteed aspect of life is death and suffering. So what do we do with that? We we go through this, this life in service of others in order to create more harmony and more painless experience. You know, um, <laughs> uh, psychologists, you know, what do they do is they just give an ear. They listen and they listen. And same, so do priests. When you go in for confession, they listen to your problems. Uh, and, then, and these people, priests and psychologists, begin to see a universal truth about human beings. And that's that we all suffer and that we all need to be listened to. And that listening to people, and even if you dis like disagree, you still listen. And, and that allows us to go, um, you know, to relieve others' suffering. And when that suffering is relieved, I believe the character themselves are improved um, personally. You know, it's personal growth being able to, to talk about it and knowing that someone's willing to listen. And this goes back to marriage. I think we've lost it in today's world. We live in such a market driven world that everything can be replaced. And that is, I think, a sickness. I, I feel like it's, you know, we're never satisfied with what we have. You know, I see it all around me. People have an iPhone 13 and the new iPhone 14 is coming out and they want that and they spend all that money and they just throw away something that is more powerful than they even utilize it for. Like it has way more power. Like I know all these, a lot of people doing this don't actually use any of the new uh, features, <laughs> except for maybe the upgrade on the camera. It's just a status thing. And I believe with marriage, it's the same thing because this is something we do every single day is, you know, or all the time is like, look for the better, what's better, what's better, what's newer, what's newer technology, la, 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 la. you know, my clothes, you know, um, and we forget to see the, 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 the value of what we already have. And so marriage is never going to be easy. It's two people often driven by selfish self-interest um, trying to unite uh, but that's, I think that's the purpose of marriage, man. And I think that's why it's valuable is because it demonstrates to children that it's, this world is not easy, that relationships are not easy, but when children witness a mother and a father or whatever the, whatever the sexual orientation or gender may be, makeup may be, uh, when people, when children witness this sacrificial behavior and this patience and this endurance and perseverance through conflict, obstacle, and adversity, I believe that they, the model behavior is, you know, 
uh, injected into them for lack of a better uh, verb. Sorry, I don't like that verb, but you know what I mean? It is, they're exposed to this and it becomes a part of their character and they learn immediately uh, at, from an early age and all throughout their time with their family that, yeah, it's not going to be easy, but look, my parents did it. They went, they fought a lot. And, uh, one person was always willing to sit back and take the, take the burden and they're still together. And today they're happy. You know, that is, that is, I think what it's all about. And, and I know it's so complex, Stephen, that question is really, that could be a whole podcast by itself. Like you said, maybe five, I don't know. It's, 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 it's really deep. And that's why we need this. I, okay. I shouldn't say we, cause I don't want to, I don't know what everybody's belief is, but that's why I believe that God is necessary. It's to remove, to, 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 to remove all this burden from ourselves and to put it on someone else. It is this great father figure or whatever figure, this parental figure in the sky that wants what's best for us, but has, he's a authority, authoritative, right? Authoritative, uh, uh, parental figure that demands excellence, but is forgiving and loving but if you follow these ways everything will be better and that's the you know so that's why i feel like i personally choose to believe in god because when things get too tough for me like when i'm fighting with my wife i remember just to be to sacrifice my like don't don't be super sensitive maybe just maybe she's having a bad day and we all forget that everybody's having a bad day because of the world of suffering we've been born into yeah, well, I think you had a good crack at it. I think that, yeah, I love what you said about, you know, servitude. I love what you said about human connection, suffering. Um, there is something really powerful in these things, right? When you are giving back, when you are protecting, you know, especially as a man, when you are human connections, community, altruism, you know, these things, I think, are very innate. They're a part of us. And, you know, this servitude is a big one man when you do things and you're 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 not selfish it's about how you can connect with how you can um how you can enhance the lives of other people what you can give teaching mentoring protecting uh you just just guiding you know being part of that community is very very powerful so uh i think a family unit helps create lots of those things right and it helps create the the you're you're tapping into them some of these primitive instincts of who we were for probably a million years as you know tribal as wanderers as a, a group of people very very powerful but it it feels good and i think i don't know you know personal so i think if we talk about personal growth we talk about marriage i think there's a lot there to unpack you know if we talk about personal growth in the sense of maybe about like you're talking about emotional personal growth that's something else that i think you can unpack a lot it's about what does it mean to be more mature and how can i grow socially and emotionally with my own emotions and then you have like i wrote down let me just read these out we'll break i'll break these down and then we can we'll pick a tangent you can go on i wrote down like for me personal growth is about social emotional skills like you said it's about who am i how do I choose to react? How do I deal with this situation? And should I, how do I, how do I react purposely? Not just how do I react purposely, purposefully instead of just reacting impulsively. Uh, and then stuff like, 
you know, individual personal growth, you know, like there's academic growth and learning. Um, that's a big one. And then there's, so how much time do you spend in yourself in the sense of growing and learning about the world or do you know enough to get by and are you comfortable with that? And then maybe another one is, you know, professional personal growth. How much do you grow in your work? Um, how much do you go in your work? And then you can break that down into a whole bunch of other ones, like, you know, the, the social and collaborative and the, the ac academic and the, the political. There's a bunch of different ways to break that down. But I feel like if, you, if I'm going to talk about personal growth, first and foremost, I'm going to talk about social emotional skills because I think it starts there. And I think the, the, the more kind of aware you are as an individual and the way that you can process your emotions gives you lots of power in the way that you deal with the world. So what do you think about that? Like, is that something you spend a lot of time thinking about? How do you process your emotions? And do you feel like, what's your personal growth like? You know, and, and feel free to ask me the same question. I can give it back to you because I've I've spent a lot of time thinking about that. But do you feel like you've you've had a lot of personal growth in your emotional states and how you, you know, you reflect and, you know, the way that you're reacting now to a situation compared to how you would have reacted 10 years ago, right? It's a very, you know, we, we would hope that we have growth, emotional growth, maybe without being super aware of it, or maybe we are aware of it. And I hope that we are. Yeah, um, I, as you know, like I've, I had a kind of a, a tough, a tough upbringing, and I think it made me, I, I didn't have access, and I wasn't able to witness people working through uh, tough, tough situations and enduring. I didn't. I, it was more just like jump ship. Think there's a hole in the boat, jump ship. Don't patch the hole. Screw it. Just go, and that's what I learned. And so. My journey of personal growth from the socio-emotional level on a socio-emotional level uh, has been tough and has been slowed. And to use, uh, you know, it's been, you know, yeah, it's been basically delayed uh, because of, you know, I, I feel like I started to believe that it was all everyone for themselves, right? It's everyone for themselves. Uh, no one really cares about you. So screw them screw screw the world but as i've gotten older you know after i you know i started educating myself through well writing and reading a ton um and then you know also like the hardships i went through i started to really see the importance of changing my perspective changing my paradigm uh from rather than it's everybody for themselves and so i don't care what happens to other people that's their fault if it happens to them to no, my mission here on earth is to actually try to help it is to try to soothe these wounds to care for them and to as again back to the buddha um you know by the way i live in thailand so it's very heavily it's all around me uh my job is to reduce suffering and you know all the great prophets which i love they wanted the same thing the god of um you know, uh, Hindu, the Hindu god Seva um, is a god of service to God or community. And so you see that even in, like from Hinduism to Buddhism to Jesus Christ and Christianity and even like to, of course, also to Islam, you know, you have these ancient wisdoms uh, and I started to hold on to those. Anyways, I believe that, um, 
yeah, that my that my socio emotional uh, uh, level has enhanced um, for f to to see things not always from my own suffering, but from the suffering of others. And I think that's really, really, really important for me because I know when I help others, I mean, I'm a teacher, man. I do it all the time. When I help others, I feel good inside. There's something, there's this, this blue light that just starts to switch on and warms my heart and soul. And I walk away with a smile. What is that? What is that? That is service to others. And no matter how much money I've made, you know, I never felt that from money. Never felt that from material gain, a brand new scooter or car. That's never, ever, there's never been light in that. You might be excited, but it's not like a really sustaining happiness. So yeah, man, I, what about you? Have you, how have you seen your own uh, personal development on a social emotional level? Yeah. Before I answer that, because like, I feel like if someone was listening to this podcast, they'd want to figure out, they, they would want the answer to this question. And, and this is like, they want to tap into that insight that you just shared. So like, if you could go back to your, you know, 18 year old self, knowing what you know now, what would you tell yourself or to, to be able to socially and like to emotionally grow? What would you tell yourself? What would you do to be able to fix some of that trauma or pain or suffering or anxiety or open your mind or change your ideologies. Like now that you have all these tools, like what would you have done knowing that, you know, that that would be extremely helpful to anyone that's either in that situation. And it would also satisfy my curiosity. Okay. Um, I would just say, um, try this and see how you feel. You should always enter in this life. We, we, we go through relationships and we pass through the lives of others. We pass through each other, kind of like ghosts, you know, that concept of ghosts where the ghost just walks through you and all of a sudden like, Oh, you can feel it. I think humans are doing that all the time. And we have two choices. We walk through another individual's life and leave it better. Or we can walk through an individual's life and leave it worse. And I believe that if you just try this on your own a couple times, you'll feel that inner glow. You'll feel that. Um, so that would be my advice is experiment. Uh, you don't need to just take my advice. You need to actually be a scientist, get out there and draw up some experiments, experiences and uh, watch the way you feel when you leave someone with a smile versus when you leave someone with a frown. Yeah, that's cool. I, I, I deeply believe in that in the sense that you've got to keep trying what works for you. You know, you gotta, you've got to keep experimenting and reflecting. Look, I think for me, what worked the most is realizing all the things that didn't work and all the things that were harming me and then starting to become very like having this metacognition. So being aware of what I was thinking and what I was feeling and then starting to get to the, the, you know, starting to analyze it, starting to think about it, starting to feel it, having conversations. And then if there was pain or trauma, being able to heal it through forgiveness, through empathy. Um, that's a big part, I think, of, of your emotional development is being able to have conversations. And if you've got any kind of trauma, being able to go through a healing process. And that might be forgiveness. It might be empathy. It might just be you crying a lot. It might be whatever process that you need to take is, I think, very, very powerful. And then I think you have to think about, and I what I did for myself, I had to think about who am I 
And am I happy with that person? Do I have enough skills, right? Do I have enough skills as a teacher or as a father or as a man? What things am I lacking? And then, you know, it's for me, I had to fill those gaps, whether it's reading or getting a mentor or, you know, researching or watching videos or whatever. It's then, like you said, it's like adopting ideologies or picking up tools and then trying to fix yourself in a way or develop skills that you don't have. Um, but I think that emotional maturity is is really tough, man. It's like, you know, someone slaps you in the face and you can react a thousand ways. Like you see in the matrix where he's talking to the creator, it's the guy's name. Yeah. He's talking to the guy that, you know, Keanu Reeves is talking to the, the key, not the key master, the creator of the matrix. And he's reacting in a thousand different ways. It's kind of like that. You have the capacity to react in a thousand ways, but it's really hard to pick the it's, it can be really hard to pick the like most righteous in inverted commas or the highest choice or the most enlightened spiritual choice. But, you know, that's hot. That takes a lot of discipline to be able to respond with power and real inner strength. But as you say, man, there's a lot of great text. If you read like, you know, you know I've got Lao Tzu here in, in um, whether it's Buddhism, whether it's the Bhagavad Gita, whether it's the Bible, there's so much wisdom out there. You know, whether it's the power of now, like a million books that teach about how to become more spiritually aware or more emotionally mature. It's it's but I feel like it's gotta be up to you, right? Gotta be up to you and what you decide. You know, I always say this to my students. I'm like, if you want it, go and get it. The only person that's gonna hold you back is you. And um, you know, as a teacher, man, you mentioned about teaching. I think what we're doing in these situations where we're becoming mentors, guides, fathers, is it's social, uh, emotional learning. It's like when I have students that are coming to my, my class and they're overwhelmed and I say, what's wrong? Why are you stressed? Tell me. And then they'll, they'll, they'll blow off some steam and I'll be like, look, I get it. And what are you going to do about it? How are you going to, you know, what can you control? And I realized that that social, emotional, once you have it, like, and you really get it and you become really aware of yourself you can start to really give it to other people by making them reflect. I have students cry in my classroom, man. They just break down, right? Because of an exam or because of they're stressed or they're being bullied. And I usually just talk like, I'm not a psychologist. So I just give them a space and I say, if it gets really bad, go to the counselor, you know, cause that's really who you should be talking to. Not really me, but we, we become that man. We, we reflect within ourselves and then we say, okay, well, you know, Ah, I can see that you're not confident about this. Let's talk about that. How do you become more confident? Why? Why do you doubt yourself? Man, you're great at this. What's the issue? Um, I want I want to be excellent. Well, you get there. What do you need to do to get there? Right? And we have these conversations. It's, it is really, I'm just wrapping up the school year now, man. It's probably the, the best year of teaching I've ever had. And, but that social, emotional learning and, and, and being able to give that to other people, so powerful, man. But- I feel like if you don't do it, what's the consequence, right? What's the consequence if you don't do it? And it's, you might be 50 years old, still not being able to be into a long-term relationship because you're upset about how your mom treated you. You know, that's a reality, yeah. not being able to commit to a long-term relationship. And I think that's really important. I, I'm not sure if, if that was the question you were going for when I, when you asked me, and then I said to go through others' lives and make it better, not worse. Um, but if you were maybe I misunderstood you, but what would I get? What advice would I give to a child that is experiencing what I experience is 
what you said, which was forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness is one of the most powerful uh, tools that we have. And in fact, I forget the name of the individual. Uh, it, it, it was a priest. It was a priest somewhere, somewhere that I read. And he said, forgiveness was is a selfish act because the person who victors the most from forgiveness is the forgiver, right? So the person, you forgive someone and it alleviates them of any type of like, like, you know, ill feelings. But what it does is it is a superpower for you because you've just gotten rid of all that emotional instability, all that hate, all that anger, all that rage. So it's a selfish act. You through forgiveness are the biggest winner. And so I just wanted to get that out of the way. Cause I think I now think that's what you were asking me. Um, but, but that doesn't, that, that doesn't reduce my, my, my sentiment on, uh, improving the lives of others, being of service to others, um, and being kind and loving. But in order to do that, if, if you're bogged down and mired by <sighs> anger, hate, resentment, you will never be happy yourself and you'll never be able to make others happy. Um, so that's, uh, forgiveness, acceptance, um, and, and, and the understanding that we're born into a world of suffering that everybody suffers. And if someone causes suffering to you, well, just realize that they're probably broken. And so they deserve forgiveness because they're broken too. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really, really um, very important. Um, do you mind, Stephen, actually, since we're talking about this, uh, forgiving whatever, forgiveness, do you mind if I share a, a quick, not too long poem with you? Please do that. So I'm not sure if you can see it. Okay, yeah. So the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi is what it's called, but it was his prayer for peace. Okay, and this is about forgiveness. Okay, it's about acceptance. It is about um, love, right? And I think socio-emotional growth for sure. Uh, so here it goes. The prayer of St. Francis of Assisi, prayer for peace. Lord... Make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love for it is in giving that we receive and it is in pardoning that we are pardoned and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life so the second of the last the second to last line there is talking about forgiveness right uh pardoning uh others and it, notice exactly what he says is just what i said you too are pardoned so through forgiveness of maybe the acts of your parents or or whatever, uh, you are relieved of that suffering by forgiveness, by forgiving others for their uh, transgressions or their missteps um, or their, you know, um, I guess, impact that maybe you didn't like so much. Uh, but I love this poem so much. I have it, I have it hanging in my cubicle at work. And uh well, I'm, I'm putting it on the wall next to me as well, here in my own little workspace in my condo. So it's a very, very beautiful. It's about service. It's about sacrifice. It's about selflessness, right? 
And because uh, that is what, you know, was asked in all religions. Stephen, you said there are thousands of books, but I want the listener to know or everyone to know that there's a universal thread, right? There is a universal thread that goes, runs through all these books and they're saying the same exact thing. So you don't, if you don't have time, you don't have to read all the great uh, uh, religious texts and all the philosophical self-help books like The Power of Now, or you don't have to. They all have the same uh, message. So if you're a Christian or a Muslim or a Jew or a Hindu, it doesn't matter. You can stick to your book, but remember that other people are trying to do the same thing and other people are suffering and other people uh, need forgiveness as well. Um, but I, I think that, yes, there's thousands of books. So whatever your flavor of ice cream, go for it and just endure it. Just enjoy it, really examine it um, and then put it into practice. Did you just diminish my favorite religious book to ice cream? You know, I have a way of simplifying things. <laughs> when, when things get con when things get complicated uh, you know a thousand books man makes me feel overwhelmed uh, even though i love reading i know a lot of people that don't um i love reading and i love learning and i'll continue to do it. so for me a thousand books sounds like a like a triple decker ice cream cone bro rather than one yeah one that scoop. definitely does sound overwhelming and i'm glad you cleared that up because that is <laughs> that is true that that is really true is that when you when you look for it in a Buddhist text, or you look for it in the back of God, back of I can't even say that properly, Gita, it's there. The ideas of what it means to to act with the highest purpose or have the highest choice to use that language, because I think it's even difficult to use, even define that. And that poem is um, very powerful because it's it, to me it's saying that in this situation you can choose to react. In, in the complete opposite manner. And in that moment, you rise above it. You rise above it and you transcend that because, and there's this element there of being spiritual, uh, being the element of the, the divine and where there, is, where there is hate, so love, right? That's a very powerful thing. But there's also this very practical, pragmatic response of being, uh, taking responsibility. So, you know, in that moment, you can choose, you know, that is to surpass or transcend the hate through love. And you've chosen to do that. And you have made, made again, the higher choice or the most spiritual choice or the holy choice or the most divine choice or whatever, however you want to frame it, or the most, I don't know, um, transcendent or, yeah, it's it's very interesting. But I wonder, my my issue is with that, is that, and I ask, you know, your 18-year-old self or my 18-year-old self, is that when does an individual start to really become aware of their personal responsibility to work on their personal growth? Because I'm not sure if everyone becomes, like, I'm not sure if people get to that stage naturally or if the light bulb has to go on. Or is it prefrontal cortex, you know, to use that terminology, or if it's a awakening or it's a, um, it's a spiritual awakening or it's a, you know, um, everything it's, it's a world being crushed and everything falling in on itself, like a cataclysm of, of disaster that creates that. But do you feel like it has to start when the individual begins to take responsibility for the world that they're creating? And then if so, 
you know, are some people just like asleep? And then how do we wake those guys up or women up? Yeah, well, you're not going to learn it all at one time. And I see it kind of like a power grid being turned on segment by segment. If you've ever seen that, like the world lighting up, it goes through. It's kind of like the northern lights when they're moving and they scatter the sky electric. Uh, they they shimmer across the side. They blow up like a balloon um, and they just cast light. It's never all at once. I think it is the long journey that never ends of personal growth and understanding of the other. Uh, it's not going to, at 18 years old, it's not going to be easy. To, it's it's going to be actually extremely difficult to understand some of these things that we're saying, because every year of your life, you are growing either for the better or for the worse. Um, and, you know, I, I would just tell them to take it day by day. Just do your best. Like I hope to instill as much of this in my son as possible before, you know, but the problem with saying 18 is that they're still adolescent, right? They're, they're at the end of their adolescence and they're finally controlling their ego and their self-consciousness. They're starting to become more aware of the world around them and their responsibilities. So at 18 years of age, yes, you can have really, really highly socio-emotional, uh, uh, adolescent or 18 year olds that are just gifted have grown up in the right environment and they possess a lot of these tools but you will never stop growing ever even if you're really really capable at the age of 18 you've got an infinite time ahead of you to continue to improve because it is something that you can never fully 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 master um you can you can try uh, and you should you should strive for for mastery but it is something that there's there's just this world is so complex right there's so much going on there's so many things from you know from microscopic life to gigantic life to environment to the external cosmos you know there's just so much to think about but yes i would say that um every human being can benefit by being equipped and that's why i think parents need to lead by example and this is why um I believe sustained marriage is benefit beneficial for the child because there will be conflicts, but the con the child will witness the endurance of uh, and the resilience of human character uh, when one person's willing to sit back and um, you know listen to the other person who's suffering and forgive them um, unconditionally, and then vice versa when the tables turn the other. Uh, person picks up the load, right? Picks up the load for the suffering mother or father. And so by witnessing this, these kids will be uh, equipped with the tools they need to, to, to grow immensely. But again, it takes a lifetime because all those years, you see more and more suffering all around you. You were saying your children in your classroom breaking down, um, a lot of those external forces, the expectations of their parents and society, they become overwhelmed. Um, and all these experiences that you have through your life will make you better as long as you go through it forgiving and, and hope and, and in service, really, to, to the human race, to, to, to the world, not just humans, to animals and environment. So that is, you know, basically what I would say, you know, is that we never stop growing. Uh, just like a tree or a plant, you know, we typically don't stop growing until death. And so 
you might as well become as big and beautiful as you can while you have time. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Yeah. And I, just to be super clear, I, I, I personally would add to that and say that, you know, the individual just has to kind of like wake up, take responsibility, realize that there are lots of things in your life that you can't control, but it gets to the point where you can start fighting to take control of lots of different things. And then when you start that journey, and like you said, it's hard and you might not be able to turn on all the, the grid at the same time. That's when you can start living a purposeful life and you can start attacking things. You can start fixing things. You can start working on things and honing in on skills. And you can start really saying, you know, you can stop being a victim if you do feel victimized and say, okay, well, this has happened. How do I use this experience to make me stronger? And you can turn your biggest weaknesses into your ultimate strengths. And, but that takes a massive paradigm shift. And, you know, it, it's really like the individual of the, the individual responsibility um, that I, th I feel that we need to take. I'm not sure if there's another way, um, but I do feel like that's the most empowering way. And I just feel like if anyone, the people that have said to me that I know that, oh, well, you know, my life will kind of work out or, you know, this has happened to me. There's nothing I can do about it or, you know, or, you know, things will just kind of, I'll just go to the next thing and then see what happens. I, I really feel like they're missing out on the on the on the opportunity to keep actively creating a meaningful life. So I'm not saying that's the only way, and I'm not saying it's the best way, but I think it's the most productive way, and I think it can be the most rewarding way because you're physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally working towards it, and you're you're focused on achieving that. Right. So. Yeah, that's what I think is that it's really powerful to have for an individual to take responsibility. And as soon as, yeah, I that's that's what I would tell my 18-year-old self. If I was to go back to my 18-year-old self and I would say, Steve, this is what you got to do. Number one, you got to take responsibility for everything that's happening to you right now. Everything. you know. And number two, you've got to take responsibility. And number three, you've got to take responsibility. And that's, that's number one, because when you do that, it's like, then obviously the next step is, is like, what can I do to create the life that I want? What can I change? What do I want? Who am I? And then you just start doing stuff and you get stuff done and you start building things. But yeah, that's not really, I don't know if that's told to a lot of young people in the modern day. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like the more we know ourselves, um, the better off we'll be because we can understand our own strengths and our own weaknesses. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I, I, I totally, I, I see what you're saying, but at, at that age, there are so many, it's hard to see through, right? It's like, it's an ocean and you're looking down over the bow of a boat and you can't see too deeply in there. Right. Um, and it's murky. It is muddy. Um, but when you get deep enough or if you go through it for far enough, it all clears up and it becomes like uh, very clear. Right. Um, and so, yeah, but, but the problem is, is that when we're young, I, I feel that when we're young, um, it's so hard to see through that murkiness, right? It's so hard to see through 
in the clarity is just not there. Um, I, I believe so. I would like can, to really can I just interrupt you there and just say when you talk about the murky, is that a metaphor for like the emotional complexities? Uh, it, it's the fault. Yeah. Well, it's the inability to see through those um, complexities, right? I believe it's, 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 it's this ability. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a veil over that. Um, and life is complex. The individual is extremely complex. And that's why I think it's important that you learn to reflect, self-reflect and understand who you are and what you really want. And then to go through the journey of life, because it's not about A and B, it's about everything in between. Right. Um, but speaking of that, I think I would like to ask you, um, what kind of obstacles do you see? What are like, what forces do you believe obstruct personal growth the most? Oh man, that's such a good question because there's so many of it. That's such a good question. And like my, what comes to mind firstly is, is distractions, hedonism, alcoholism, um, you know, avoidance of responsibility, uh, pleasure seeking behavior. Um, so I think anything that stops you from directly dealing with, uh, interacting with your, who you are and your responsibilities, I think it's going to be detrimental to your personal growth. And I think there is just a lot of that shit out there at the moment. So you can, you can decide not to talk to your partner, for example, and scroll Instagram. And that's easier. Like my relationship went through a, a phase where it was really bad um, for maybe a, a month or two, where the way that my wife dealt with our relationship was that she didn't want to talk. So she would just, she would just zone out on you know social media for hours instead of facing the issue in the relationship so i think that can be a really negative one and really dangerous there's yeah and i think it's there's there's almost like this self um medicating process of like we're dealing with a painful emotion um but i it's it's and i think underneath it it's an avoidance of pain so if you're trying to avoid pain you avoid confronting a situation or dealing with it because it's just better to put it off than talk about it, deal with it, go to the doctor, you know, deal with your weight problem or cholesterol problem or, you know, work problem or relationship problem, whatever that is, or, or just, you know, be proactive and you're distracted. Yeah. I think you got to really, I think you got to really look at how you're spending your time during the day you know, what you're allocating your energy to and you got to look at all the distracting behavior and you got to cut that shit out. Like you just got to purge it out, man. Just throw that fucking smartphone out the window. <laughs> like whatever it is, right? You know, I'm obviously kidding, but you know, for me, it was like just deleting Instagram and closing down my Facebook account. It, it was that and, and making sure that every time that I wanted to open up Instagram, I'll pick up a book you know, and, and force myself to read. Or it was like every time that I, you know, having to continually choose to go to the gym when I don't want to go, because I know that I'm delaying, I'm delaying or I'm avoiding pain. And, you know, but my brain telling me to, 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 um, to miss out on that gym session is really just stopping. It's hindering my personal growth, right? Because of 
because of being in the comfort zone. And that's, that's maybe I'll finish with that is, so maybe it's the comfort zone, John, maybe being in that comfort zone and everything's easy. And then it's kind of like, I'm, I'm here and I'm distracted. I'm not even, not even so distracted, but everything's good. But there's no need to try, no need to, to strive for anything else. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's spot on. And I, I do believe that those obstructions are extremely powerful and preventive of personal growth um, in many ways. Um, you know, drugs and alcohol, for sure. I've, I've You know, in my life, uh, definitely alcohol has played a role in the retardation of growth, of personal and spiritual growth. Um, because they say that, uh, and I'm going to bring this back to cell phones, bro, here in a minute. So everybody get ready, buckle up might not be comfortable. Um, but yeah, alcohol was my biggest vice in this world and life. And it really, you know, you just can't grow when you're, when you're, you're constantly avoiding work, the work, the work that needs to be done, uh, to get through adversity, right. To overcome the obstacles. Uh, and it really, it's just like, instead of like getting on that treadmill or instead of dealing with that relationship problem it's easier just to go for the serot you know the the dopamine serotonin blasts <laughs> with that are associated with addiction and like you said comfort zone so like it's more it's 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 more uncomfortable to face the storm head on to go through the storm head on but the, the when you do that the the outcome is extremely powerful and it is a sense of accomplishment and purpose that is irreplaceable that no beer or no no instagram session will ever replace and you know i believe also for obstructions of growth so alcohol drugs and alcohol anything that's addictive smoking cigarettes drinking whatever binge eating um and again cell phones i think the problem with cell smartphones is that they're they're they don't so the the effects aren't as obvious like as say an alcoholic who you can see falling down in the street or or the smoker who has stained fingers and teeth and who smells the cell phone everybody's doing it everybody and you can't really see so everybody's doing it, it could be for work it should it could actually you could be using your smartphone for personal growth so we don't really know what people are doing with their phones, but young people are just, it's addictive, man. It's the most addictive force on the planet is the smartphone. And it was designed that way. And, you know, you have Mark Zuckerberg and the heads of Google and all these people saying that's what they do. They are, that's their goal is to make it as addicting as possible. And, and they're honest. They're blatantly honest about it because that's what makes the money, right? The more people that use it, for long continuations of time, the more money they make. They, I mean, the richest people in the world are the people that design these things, you know? Um, so yeah, man, like <laughs> I really feel that we need to be aware of this. And the more our youth are aware of this from an early age, they're not going to get it all at, at right up front because a lot of us have to learn the hard way, including myself, definitely myself. Um, uh, and we have to learn the hard way, but that's the beauty of suffering and experience is that we do grow and learn. Um, you know, we have a choice, you guys. Suffering is an inevitable part of our existence. It is inseparable from life. So suffering is there. It's adversity that will never go away. You have no control over it, but you do have a choice. Suffering 
it can be external or internal. And you do have a choice. You can control your internal thoughts and beliefs, okay? You can suffer through this world as a victim and you can play the victim card or you can suffer voluntarily and you can see obstacles as opportunities for growth and for perfection. Um, you know, and that's 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 basically all I have to say is that we have a choice. Suffering is not going anywhere. I mean, look at how Jesus passed, right? It's the ultimate form of suffering where he was fully abandoned. There's just a bunch of eyes on him. And his whole mission was to help the earth and to help humanity. And look at how he died in the end. It's, it's a horrible story. And the Buddha tells us the same thing. We're born into a world of suffering and we have a choice, you know, suffer as a victim or suffer voluntarily. And if you suffer voluntarily, you can see the adversity and you can see it as an opportunity for growth. What do you think about them apples? <laughs> yeah, man, the smartphone isn't great. But like you said, there's a lot of, there's suffering and there's a lot of self-sabotage and there's a lot of maybe unconscious behavior. Yeah, man. What do you think about the the conform uh, not the the comfort zone, the danger of the comfort zone? Like, how do you recognize that you're in the the danger of the like you're in that comfort zone? And what do you what do you lose? versus what could you gain you know like i imagine there's a lot of people and it's just i think human nature that we get into a, a comfortable place comfortable job a rhythm things are secure it's safe you feel protected you got your little things that you do on the weekend right and then it's kind of like to, to risk that just seems stupid so like, why would i risk what i have why would i risk my job and my my houses and my my savings account to to do something else or you know to to experiment yeah i guess the question is is the comfort zone you know is the comfort zone something that is a, a necessary evil for humans or you know like i guess it's is it normal you know and it just is it kind of the like the way people have told me it kind of expressed it it's kind of like the smart thing to do is to get into a comfort zone and then have your, you know, state government job, benefits, 20 years, pension. Isn't that, maybe uh, maybe I'm getting it all wrong. You know, maybe that's a smart thing to do. And and um, you should stay in the comfort zone because that's that ensures a, a good life. But what do you miss out on? Um, well, like I said, opportunities uh, for um, growth are through the obstacles that we overcome. And so I think that the, that the comfort zone while you should revel in it from time to time, like maybe enjoy it for a weekend, but the comfort zone is dangerous because it means no growth is happening. Okay. Uh, you know, there's growing pains. We've all heard of these and it happens to teenagers. You know, they grow really fast. It growth spurts. It's painful. Growth is painful, but it is, where you need to go ultimately. And so, you know, take a weekend off, be comfortable. But like they say, retirement is for those who are ready to die. It is the first step to the grave is retirement. So if you retire from a specific job, that's fine. If you've put in your service and you want to get the heck out of there, great. But don't go get comfortable on that couch. Do not do that because you're just sending yourself to an early grave. You see, you, you, you start a new journey. 
in retirement. I don't ever want to stop working. I don't ever want to stop growing. I get bored when I don't have things to do and I get like, it's depressing to me. So I like to stay busy. Um, and the growth I love, I can see the fruits of my labors all around me. Um, you know, from my classrooms have become spaces of learning where I know that I have the attention of my students, which is something that has taken a long time to gain. But I've, I've learned that through hard work, it, the, like, like I said, you know, the life is like a garden and you need to tend to it and it's laborious. It's laborious. But without that, we're just sending ourselves with to an early grave essentially. Um, so expect the pains, but see them not as pain, see them as the friction and the, the growing pains to becoming that bigger and better version of yourself. Yeah. Like you, so you talk a lot about obstacles you know, so in my mind, obstacles are like a are like learning new skills, they're challenges that, you know, before, like you said, these growing pains, what are they? It's it's to be really simple. I think they're they're the pain, suffering, and humiliation of learning new skills and sucking at it, right? And then and then, you know, your ego is completely destroyed. It's on the floor and you feel like a loser. And then you have to get yourself off the floor and you keep going and you're repeating and you attempting to you know develop some kind of proficiency and, and then try to figure out how to handle that skill try to just make develop that skill and that's that's growing pains is is you failing at something again and again and again until you start growing and reflecting and getting it right and that sucks nobody wants to do that i think well i shouldn't say nobody wants to do that but it's not very appealing if you explain it like that so these obstacles, like, of course, people want to keep away from it. You know, what mindset do you have to have before that becomes a positive thing? And it's it's also kind of embedded in our, I think, in our survival. Like if I start a new job and I become a teacher and I suck at it, then it's like, God, I don't know how I deserve to be paid for this or should I even be paid for this? You start valuing your, you know, you start questioning your own sense of self-worth and who you are and how you fit into society and your weight and your weight and worth and your, your status and you know your purpose, all of these things become like questioned deeply. And not to mention that we become so fixated on our identity of like who we are before, like who we are now, like I am this, you know, like I'm a teacher now, but I haven't always been a teacher. And then when I stop becoming a teacher, am I going to be a different person? Like this identity like our, our concept of ourselves and being able to discard that, that's really tough. Um, when I'm in Colombia, I don't like to tell people that I'm a teacher because they treat me different. Like the, they, 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 they treat you with this kind of deference, you know, they treat you with this, um, they revere you somewhat. And it's, it's nice, but I don't really want it because I don't really need it. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, your your whole identity becomes a part of that. And it's not only who you are, it's how you see yourself. And it's about how other people treat you. And it's like, and then if I stop becoming a teacher, I lose that. So yeah, it's it's this comfort zone, man. But maybe it's a smart thing to do financially. But like, maybe as a human being, when we're capable of being a lot more, I feel like we we just kind of, we we don't tap into our kind of potential as an individual. You know, we could be a lot more. I think. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, 
this idea of failure, this fear of failure that we're talking about, the comfort zone and the feel feeling of the fear of feeling that you failed. Um, Socrates, Socrates said that falling down uh, and we're all going to fall on our face. You guys, everybody falls on your face because that's, that is the life of suffering we're born into, mm -hmm. but there, it is the way we grow into stronger beings. But Socrates said that falling down is not failure. Failure comes when you stay where you have fallen. So I think that it's really important you know, that's the comfort zone. You know, maybe you get that job that is really good financially and it makes you feel secure and comfortable and you know that you're going to be okay because of this or that um, if you stick with this, but maybe you don't love it. Uh, that is a huge danger, I think, in our life. Um, I think it's really important um, that we be mindful and weary of that because those comforts can diminish our purpose in life. Um, I'd like to share my screen with you again, Stephen. Um, there's this, this concept that came out of Japan called the Ikigai. And Ikigai is about balance in life. It is how we find our purpose in life. And so you said that oftentimes people like the, the job is good, right? The job's good um, and we get comfortable because it pays well, but it's not our true happiness because it diminishes our purpose. So the, this, this concept of the Ikigai is what you see in front of you. It's a diagram of intersecting circles and they're called the four pillars of uh, purpose. And first these things to, to, in order to have a balanced and a purposeful life of happiness, you know, and I think that our happiness is based on the purpose of our lives. Uh, you need to have these four concepts uh, at the forefront of the decisions you make in your life, whether it be personally or professionally. Um, but you need to know what you're good at so that you can use that tool uh, to help others, to, to help yourself, to make money, whatever. Uh, you also need to love what you're doing. And that's why I teach, you know, like I, 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 I could have made a lot more money. I could have retired in 10 years from right now. And, and, and had a pension that will pay me probably more than teaching will ever pay me, you know, uh, as an electrician. But I wasn't happy. That was not my purpose. My purpose is not to illuminate buildings. It's a, it, my purpose is to illuminate the minds of people. Uh, you know, that is my mission and that is my purpose. But again, so you got to know what you're good at. You got to love what you do. And you got to also, I mean, you do have to think about money to an extent. So like, you got to know what kind, like, what do you need at the minimum? And then go from there. Um, and then you also need to know what the world needs, because that is that concept of service. What does the world need? How can I reduce the suffering of all these millions, billions of people and animals? Uh, Without that, it's just a selfish endeavor. You're just going at it alone. But notice that Ikigai is the goal. It's where all four of those concepts um, or pillars, excuse me, this is the, where the four pillars intersect. And that is the perfect balance. Um, but as you can see, the small sections here, if you neglect any of these, there is a negative consequence. For example, if you never think about money, well, then obviously you're going to be impoverished and you can't like 
you do need some comfort in your life, right? Like I need comfort so I can plan lessons for my students so I can improve their learning experience. I need to have a home and I need to have food. So I have energy because I'm a high energy teacher, dude. I am all over. I'm doing backflips, cartwheels through that classroom all day long. Uh, But if I don't make enough money, then I'll be broke and everything else will fall apart. If you're not doing what the world needs, then you're going to realize on your deathbed that you had no impact in this world. Uh, And if you don't uh, do what you're good at, well, then you're probably, you could quit, right? There's that, that could be a consequence you just give up because you're not actually good at it. And that's okay. Um, And last but not least, if you're not loving what you're doing, you will be miserable. So to stay in that comfort zone, Stephen, of um, that good job, um, it can be tempting. And I understand the temptation, but you need to ask yourself, am I doing what I love? Do I love, do I wake up in the morning and do I say, ah, good morning, God? Or do I say, good God, it's morning, right? Because you don't love what you do. You're not excited to get out of bed to go to work. You need to do that. But you also need to make sure you can pay for your, support yourself and your family. Um, and, you know, doing what you're good at will ultimately always bring you some sort of fortune, whether it is uh, enlightenment, whether it is financial, or whether it is just that great sense of purpose. Um, but in the end, it all goes back. Uh, you, you need to have you need to provide service to this world of suffering um, because if we don't all work together at reducing it, well, we're just going to create more of it. Right. Uh, There's an old Hebrew or Jewish proverb, which says we've spent the last 5,000 years breaking the world into small pieces. Now our purpose is to put the pieces back together. Yeah, that's impressive. And don't you love how the Japanese have a concept for this that I've been thinking about for years and they have like, literally they have like a word that outlines an idea or a concept. That's really cool. And it has these four characteristics. Yeah. Um, The four pillars of purpose, right? Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, that's a really, really good way of looking at how to find your purpose and it's a it's a really good mirror to re, you know to self reflect and think about you know where am I on this on this chart where am I on this in this personal journey and you know am I am I content or am I kind of kidding myself with some of these aspects yeah I like it a lot I think that's great advice yeah yeah man very well said man great um, can we transition in maybe into the sense of what about personal growth in our professional lives? You know, like what does personal growth mean as a professional? Like, and what is, I guess, a reasonable amount of personal growth or how can one obtain personal growth in their professional world? Uh, wow. That was quite the transition, but no, <laughs> I, I, again, I feel like it's, like the Ikigai says about doing what you love, right? I think that's the first step to, to know that you have purpose is to really do what you love. And I'm going to tell this to all the, the, the younger listeners that you need, we, we all need to realize that our parents and our teachers want, they want what is best for us, but they don't always know. They don't know 
what is best for us sometimes. Okay, so um, you might want to think about that for a minute. They want what's best, but they don't always know because we are so unique. Every individual is so unique. Um, but again, on a professional level, we need to bring back the concept of suffering. And so the workplace can be a very challenging environment to navigate, right? And, um, you know, you're, you're, you're interacting with all sorts of characters. And, you know, even when you do what you love, like I do, um, you're still dealing with human life and diversity, like in on a, a super complex level. Um, and that's not easy because we don't understand everybody else. We're like, you know, there's that saying that humans are like snowflakes. And I don't mean like flake, like weak. No, I mean like, like crystalline, crystalline uh, individuals and none are the same. There's no uh, identical being. And so that sets us, us all up for immense adversity in our social relationships and interactions. But if we keep in mind, if we bear in mind that we're all suffering, if we see each other as, you know, how do you say it? I got, well, basically, I'm sorry, I lost my little metaphor I had in my head. But if we just all see the world as everybody is suffering, I think it builds compassion and it makes it allows us to be more patient, right, for the other. And I think that's so important not to look as the other as the enemy or as the opponent, but as the fellow sufferer, because that is the world we live in. And I mean, there is not one philosophy that doesn't tell you that. Uh, it's universal truth that we all suffer. People are going to die. We're going to die. We're going to lose things. We're going to fall. We're going to fail. But that's that's life. And without that, we don't have life and we don't have purpose. So again, yeah. So on a professional level, I think we can use these personal growth levels to actually enhance that, um, that experience as well. Uh, what challenges do you see in professional de development? Like, what what do you think has been, or may I ask you, what are some of the experiences that have been most challenging in your journey of professional growth? Yeah, man, the, the ego, you know, the ego is probably the most challenging thing, you know, where you're learning new skills and it can hurt your sense of identity. I think that's, for me, it's been the hardest thing. And I, I think it's different too when you have a second or a third career because I think when you're in your 20s, your, your professional growth happens or your growth and your expertise happens differently than when it happens in your 30s. Because I think in your 20s, it just I think you're not as aware of it. And I think it just kind of just happens and it grows over time. And you're a little bit maybe more confident or maybe you're unaware of the things that you're doing wrong. Uh, but when you're, I think when you're older, you start to, I think you're more aware of the process and you can kind of, you're more self-critical. So your ego, I think hurts a bit more. You're more self-critical. Uh, so sometimes if you're, I think if you're too hard on yourself, if you're too self-critical, if you're, if you're the standard of who you want to be and who you are, if the bar has risen really high and you're not meeting that expectation, well, then you're going to be in the pain zone and that's not great so i think the ego is a big part of it um but i think yeah i think when if you're a young person you know if you're a young person starting a new career and you want personal growth and professional growth i think the the most powerful tool that you have is 
is the ability to reflect, right? Is to, to sit back and say, okay, and then maybe apply, then apply some strategies. You know, one strategy, a really easy strategy is to find a mentor or, a, you know, you don't even have to tell them that you're, you know, mentor, you know, being mentored by them. If they're not, a, you know, an active mentor, there might be a passive mentor and use and utilize them as, as the benchmark and, and model them. So I think getting a, a mentor or a guide or, you know, a role model is really powerful, but, you know, surely, you know, surely you can develop competency in a relatively short amount of time if you're, if you work at it. Right. I think that's the, that's the question is like, if I work at this skill, how long is it going to take me before I become, you know, at least proficient? And then if not highly proficient and into mastery, like when you start to become a, when you, when you transition to being a teacher, you know, when you look back now, what are the elements or experiences that you felt like you had the most amount of personal growth? What happened to, to allow that to occur organically? Well, I think you answered that question um, at the beginning of your um, last statement um, was the power of self-reflection, right? Accepting accountability. Um, I think that this is the most powerful tool I've learned. And I, I, I sit there and I look around and there's so many teachers and, you know, I complain about my students from time to time. Um but there's so many teachers that are unwilling to, to, to make change in their own uh, teaching practice, their own teaching style or pedagogy, right? Um, and I was kind of the same because I do put a lot of energy in. I do try to create multi-sensory uh, learning environments that takes, you know, that accounts for, uh, you know, the different types of learning styles and needs of students, but I was still falling short. And I began to let my ego overcome, like you mentioned, the ego can be a big part, a big obstacle, right? A big obstruction of our growth professionally and personally. Um, but I, I realized that I started because I was working so hard and I thought I was doing everything they needed. I began to, I, to become frustrated when it wasn't working, when they weren't learning what I was teaching. And I blamed them for their laziness. And I blamed smartphones and I blamed, you know, I, I just pointed my finger outward and I forgot to look into the mirror and the mirror of self-reflection is the most powerful thing I have ever gained through my teaching. I've learned to accept accountability for the abilities of my students. I've learned to look at myself and what am I doing that may not be engaging or way, may not be uh, sufficient to, to meeting the learning objectives and goals. And now when my students fail, I never point my finger at them. I mean, sometimes I do, you know, that probably won't ever go away because we all need to be accountable. And if you're just not, if you're not coming to class, well, of course, then you're not going to learn. And that's kind of on you, but that's not, that's the, you know what I mean? That's the small percentage. That's a smaller percentage. But when my students aren't getting it, I, I do all sorts of assessments. I, I analyze what they're learning, how they're learning, what they can do. And when they fall short, I blame myself equally. And that is the power of self-reflection is I accept accountability. And because of that, this year, these, five, these first five weeks of this school year, 
Um, just so you guys know, Stephen and I are on a different school calendar. But anyways, these first five weeks of my, I have never, ever experienced such overwhelming joy and satisfaction um, in my profession. I've had teach students, 11th graders running up to me. It's happened every single week. It's not slowing down. And I got to be careful not to get too excited, you know, and start to, you know, get, get full of myself. But I've had a, a lot of the 11th graders have left my 10th grade room. And I mean, a lot. And it's, I feel like it's almost on a daily basis, but definitely on a weekly basis, multiple times where they're telling me that they miss me and they want to learn with me. Okay. And that's not because I'm this super, super teacher. It's because I accept accountability. It's because I push them to where they need to go. I guide them and I try to be, because I'm aware of the suffering in this world, I'm very, I try to be as sympathetic as I can, but I am an authoritarian, uh, authoritative, um, uh, individual when it comes to parenting and teaching, which means I have expectations and there are uh, needs that things that need to be met before, you know, the benefits come rolling out. But at the same time, I'm a very, very good listener and I'm compassionate towards the hurting, the, the suffering, the sadness, the, the, the conflict and adversity that we all face. But, you know, like, so all my 11th grades, they're, last year's 10th graders, this year's 11th, I mean, are coming up to me and giving me hugs. It's really weird. Like I feel awkward because it's not like Columbia where sensual like activity like that is okay. It's kind of accepted here. It's like, you're not really supposed to be hugging your students, but it's not me. They're, it's them. And they're like, Oh, teacher, we miss you. And they, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, my, you know, right now I just look out with my new students and I see light. I see light bulbs going off. I see smiles. I see them focused. Like I've never seen anyone focused before. Um, never have I ever looked out into an audience that was this, uh, engaged and, you know, I've overheard really nice compliments about my teaching and even my, my boss. Now, again, I don't want to say like, I'm a great teacher. What has happened? Um, what has happened in my life is I have embraced this concept of self-reflection and accepting accountability. And I'll never again, I'm going to try, I am human and I do have flaws, a lot of them, um, but to never blame the other solely. I will always look at myself, whether it's with my wife, with my son, with my students, with my friends, you know, and I will accept my accountability and I will try to refine my skills and, and, um, and just take accountability for my own actions. Like, what did I do wrong, right? It takes two to tango. And so, you know, yeah. So I think that's what is most important to me is that what you said, self-reflection. That has allowed me to grow um, professionally on many different levels. And this is also, you know, if I have conflict with other teachers, there's a couple of people in, the, in, in my office that I'm not a, like really fond of, <laughs> But I try to keep reminding myself about the concept of uh, this existence that's unavoidable of human suffering and that I also play a role in all the outcomes of my life. So I would rather go through my life and job, hopefully leaving the people better, even if I don't like them that much, 
leaving them better than when I encountered them to begin with, rather than upsetting them, rather than letting my ego dominate and me lashing out. I have a really strong personality and I, you know, I have a lot of it. So I can, I can be very aggressive, but I'm learning not to be. Yeah, man. Great. I appreciate you sharing that story. I think, yeah, the being reflective is so powerful. And a lot of teachers happens at every school. There's always teachers that not very effective. They always blame the students. They're always kind of angry. Kids are frustrated. Um, and then they revere the teachers that are, are teaching really effectively and have a good connection with them. But it just, it kind of blows my mind or it's, it's kind of sad really it's it's just a, a bit disheartening that those teachers haven't been able to to take that responsibility and reflect and say okay why are these kids not learning like they are other classes with other teachers what am i doing here that's what is what am, what could i could i be doing that different or how can i change my practice to be a more effective teacher but i really feel like that's the philosophy of life man you got to be super reflective otherwise you just, like you said, you end up blaming other people and you're only thinking about your egocentric point of view and you don't have any empathy and understanding of the other person or other people in the relationship. And it's a lot harder to collaborate and work in symbiotic relationships when you're only thinking about yourself. I think that's great reflections, man. It's, yeah, I'm not sure if it's, I, I feel like if, if anyone's not a teacher and listening to this, like teaching's a pain in the ass because there's so many different things you need to do well at the same time, you know, but being reflective is not enough by itself to make you a good teacher. It's, it's, it shows you what you're doing wrong and it shows you what you need to work on, but it doesn't immediately fix all your problems. So then you have to go back to the drawing board and this is where that it's, it's being reflective. And then there's an element of real hard work of, of, you know, your ego being smashed on the floor and being wiped away and then picking up the pieces and starting from scratch again to, okay, that did not work. Let's try to build something that works. And that's really hard. But um, I just feel like it's as well, extremely counterproductive and just downright really annoying and, and stupid for professionals to be working and not being trained by older, more experienced um, individuals. So I feel like as a, a new teacher, you know, you should be working with teachers with a decade and plus, and they should be guiding you and working with, you know, you, you should be, you know, you, there's a, that expression, you're only as good as your training, um, but you're also only as good as the people, your your experience and your reflection and your, the combination of the people that you're working around. I just don't understand why companies and people, you know, don't always have a support system to make you better. Like if you're around good people, you're going to grow because you can just glean so much from them, right? I think that's such an important part of your personal growth and development is like getting yourself into a place where you're surrounded by like-minded people that want to help you and are happy to share their insights and information, right? That's so important. Like I've worked at schools and I have like begged for a breadcrumb, you know, and just incredible. Like the insights that I know now I can just spit out. Like I'm happy to share them. You know, you have these teachers that kind of, they have all this wisdom and experience and they just, you know, you got to figure it out yourself, bro. You know, like I could tell you, but yeah, I think it's better if you just sort it out yourself. Just it's, it's, <laughs> it hurts, man. It's, it's, um, 
it's very demoralizing and it's um yeah it's painful so um i see i've put a message in the in the chat here let's take a break 9 40 i'm running out of steam but um yeah let's take a break bro and um when you get back transition okay. or, or whatever <laughs> one second Bro. I just don't want to lose this idea about working in a place like that. All right, back, sorry. So yeah, man, um, I totally agree with you um, about that, the working environment, begging for crumbs, like not having the support you need. And this is one of the problems with our, like this, I feel like with our stratified society, with this ego-driven uh, self-fulfillment uh, culture that the world is, you know, being forged into by, uh, media, social media, and also other forms of media. In fact, all forms of media, or most of them, are quite negative. And it's all about being selfish. And yeah, you know, let me say two things. First, you remind me of my need to move on from the school I'm at. Because I, I don't see anyone as enthusiastic about teaching as myself. I, I just don't. I, I feel like there's a lot of complacency there. And that's okay. That's okay. It's the type of you know environment it is, um, but the good news with where I'm at right now. So I'm 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 not gonna like dwell on that and start to hate my environment. I see myself as an elder in the environment, and we had this new this new teacher George that just came in. I probably shouldn't have used his real name. Oh, I probably shouldn't have said it was his real name. Uh, anyways, maybe it's not. Maybe I'm just fooling all of you. Anyways, so this George character came in and uh, <laughs> uh, he, man, he has no tools. So what happens is we get new textbooks and the school just gives them to you. And then someone activates the code 
and then they lose the code, right? And then you lose all the resources of the, the book, right? Uh, of the text, whatever. And those are tools that you need. So this happened to me, but I was lucky enough that the guy before me had downloaded all of the materials onto a, a, a zip, a file, and I have them all. Thank God for that. But I tried to log in and we had all these problems. And anyways, so I've been through it. And again, this adversity, these obstacles we overcome, they become opportunities to learn and that provide others help to give service to others. So he has, he was only using his workbook. Uh, he couldn't do any of the listening activities. He didn't have the supplemental materials. He didn't have the uh, flipped classroom videos and he had no access. So I reached out to Ben, uh, an, another fictitious name character, uh, who, um, who gave me uh, the the password and code, but none of it worked. And it came to the point where he said, well, I I, I don't know, that's on TCS, that's not on me. Um, and I was like, uh, okay, cool. So I went down to the, I went straight to management. I went down to the, the, the head department uh, of our department. And I said that these, I asked them if we could please create a system where they created um, a generic, right? Um, they created the passwords for all the new textbooks. And this is asking a lot, but they got on it. They did it. And this guy is so grateful that I did this. And I only did it because I know what suffering is like. I know what you're talking about, Stephen, when you say there's not enough training, there's not enough support. Uh, and it's, it's really weird. It's like everybody's thinking about only themselves. How can I be the best at my position? But they're not like helping lift others up. And, you know, again, I don't want to sound like I'm tooting a horn because I am, I am, I feel really, really good inside. I feel that, that blue light within my soul that I am actually of service to other people. This guy is so stoked. He's so grateful and my bosses and so are the heads. So it's not that I'm a great guy. It's that I'm putting these practices, um, I'm putting these concepts into practice that we all need help, that we all need some kind of support and that the only people that can support us is us. And so when I do things like this and I see the light in the eyes of the person I'm interacting with and I see the smile and this relief, that is my relief. That is my own. So when I help others, um, which I'm very capable of now because I'm an elder at the school. Like I've seriously been there almost the longest. Um, we have a high turnover rate, probably because of a lack of support and financial stuff. But uh, anyways, so yeah, man, I think there needs to be more support for those around us. And you don't have to like people, but you do need to love them in a way, in the sense of, um, I mean, that's that's again that's of the there's the 617 mitzvahs those are the laws of judaism and that is one of them you do not have to like everyone in fact you won't like everyone but you do need to love them and that's the concept of all of us are suffering we're all in this shit show together and the only way we can improve this world is by being of service to others around us and like you said, we need people like mentors to go out there and help these newbies, these young people, to give them strength and confidence 
and also to model behavior. Because I guarantee you when I do stuff like this or anybody does something like this, that is reflected. Uh, it is, there's the butterfly effect, right? It has an impact on this world of positivity and others feel good. So they want to do it themselves. I mean, yeah. When I hear you talk about that situation, there's like, you know, and this fits into the professional or personal growth really well, there's three things that stand out to me. And that is, you know, professional integrity in the sense of knowing what's you consider to be right. And then going after that, no matter what the main thing is, you know, you could have just said, ah, doesn't matter. Who cares? Not my problem. You know, but you're like, no, this needs to be fixed. It's the right thing to do. You know, our school will benefit and our students will benefit. So it should happen. Somebody fix it. That's integrity, man. And that goes a long way. Not everybody has it. Uh, but I think if with that integrity, I think you can really shine and grow as an individual. So I think that's a great example. The other thing you said too, is like the maturity is like, if you're a bit older, and so I think what you bring into the bring to the table is that you have insight, you have maybe um, not you have um, perspective, you know that maturity allowing you to think things through and make you know calculated, meaningful, purposeful decisions. So I think that's powerful. And then lastly, it's like you know the motivation of actually wanting to be there. You know, wanting to teach, wanting to be a great teacher, wanting to inspire, and then wanting to, you know, impact your students. So, you know, that motivation, I think, is a huge part of um, your, like the individual's personal growth, professional growth, is that you've got to be motivated with some kind of story about what does it mean to you and why, and why you're there, right? It's like, if you're going to give up a corporate job or some very high paying profession or skill, to be in that job, you better be motivated to do that job and it better be meaningful to you. So what story have you told yourself to motivate you? And you better look at that story and, and make sure that it's bulletproof, all right? Especially when the hard times come, right? So, man, I think that's a great example of three characteristics that people could implement if they want professional growth, you know, professional and per personal growth in the workforce. Um, because I'm not sure if everyone, well, it's, it's, I guess it's there are three things that we could keep developing, right? And as a teacher, you need to be a role model, you know. Um, so what would your like what would your perfect school look like in the sense of what would it look like in the sense of staff collaboration and and personal growth and academic growth for you? Like what's what is your next school in your mind? What does that perfect school look like as as being part of a team of, of educators? Um, I would believe, I, I would think that listening and communication are, are the roots and will, will help. Well, it, it creates inclusivity, first of all. Um, um, but, but an environment where everybody loved what they were doing, you know, that's, that's what it would look like is that everybody was busy and everybody was willing to sacrifice a little bit of their own time for the betterment of the team. You know, with my students, I say, we are a team. You know, I just happen to be the captain, but you guys are equal to me. But I expect I'm the captain and my job is to make sure everybody's doing their part. And um, and I, I think that that's how management should be. They shouldn't be looking down at you. 
They should be seeing you as an equal, but knowing that they have a different response, different responsibilities than you, and that the responsibilities is that everybody's contributing and that everybody's happy and wholesome. Um, and I would want that environment to be a place of growth. I think that's extremely vital um, for happiness and purpose in the workplace, right? So you have to have like, I, you know, I'm not putting all this weight and burden on the 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 head or the the manager or captain or whatever you want to call it, uh, but that is their unique role in the office, and I think that they, that that needs to be developed um, to be a a place of of observation, reflection, and support to the needs of the team. Um, but it's not just the it's not just the manager, it's not just the head, it's not just the CEO. It is every working moving part of that machine that we're in and that means me i i you know i don't i you know i spent two hours trying to hack into that book and that's okay like at one moment i was like oh god why am i spending my time doing this this isn't my issue but then i said no no that's wrong like that is not right because i'm not helping anybody else like if anybody here can help, it's probably me because I have the most experience. So I, you know, I probably have more time kind of than, yeah, I don't know, but my perfect environment would be one of education, one of growth, one of reflection, communication and support service to the other. Uh, I believe that that is the perfect working environment for me. What about you? Do you, how do you see a good working environment? What's important to you? I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. You know, I think that's the general, the general truth for me. It's like, I, I, I want to be like surrounded by people way smarter than me because it means that I have to step up and I, and I kind of feel threatened. <laughs> it means that I have to kind of, you know, I have to rise up and think about why is that person so much more developed than, than me and what are they doing and what ideas can I steal from them? And that makes me definitely, I think a better professional. Um, yeah, I think that's a big part of it is you want to be around people that basically you can grow from, I think. And, you know, but they're all, as you said, they're also willing to help you. And the moment that you're like the head guy, and then everyone's got less experience than you, it's kind of like, you're not really benefiting from having people around you anymore. They're just benefiting from you and you're guiding them. And that could be great if you're paid for a leadership role, right? And that's, you know, you're sharing and you're serving them, right? But you're not, you know, you're doing it in servitude right? It's, it's again, altruistic. Um, I think that's, that's really important. So you want to have people that are collaborative. You want to have people that are insightful, educated, um, you know, willing to make you better, I think is great. They want to share your secrets. Um, and I think actually first and foremost, you want to find people that are not, well, you, you want to find people that are positive, motivated, you know, it's like being in a toxic environment is horrible. Like I haven't had a toxic environment for like 10 years. It, well, it's, it's, it's almost been that, oh, that's, it's probably been six years, you know, my two international schools and just being around. Well, there, there have been people that have been quite toxic, but I should say, but the abundance of people were, were very positive. And I, I think as an individual, you have this recalibration because you're just, your energy changes. You don't have to be, you have your guard up. You don't have to worry about people you know, um, gossiping about you, you know, your, your people are focused on, they want to talk, talk about talk shop. They want to talk about their art and craft and they, they have, 
um, a great ideology, a great perspective. They're they're optimistic. All those things are very empowering. You know, like you know, why would you want to be around people that are criticizing the students that you're teaching? Like, is, is, that's the last thing that's going to help you. It's like, all right, what do our students actually need? How do we get these little guys to learn something? All right, they suck. All right, they're horrible. So what? Right? What are you going to do about it? What can you actually? What can you do that's effective? You know, and not focusing on the negative. You can't can't change the negative. You know, or maybe you can change the negative, but by focusing on the negative is not going to be positive for your experience as, you know, whatever you're doing. So I think that's got to, you know, that's probably the first thing is that you want to be in a positive environment and then you want to model that to your students and um, you want to model that to the people around you so you become a beacon of, of positivity. Uh, I think that's very powerful. So, yeah, I, I think, and I, I think, just lastly, and then having a clear mind of where, you know, where you want to go. So I want to be here. And then it's like, okay, are these people helping me achieve that goal? You know, like every day really is an opportunity to grow a little bit and learn a little something. My, my heart dies for people that do the same thing over and over. And after 10 years of laborious monotony, or, you know, it's blood, sweat, and tears in, in some kind of job, they're exactly the same as what they were when they started the job. Jesus. Like, there's nothing wrong with a job that you're cleaning floors, but it's. I think it's a disservice. It's a disservice to the individual if they're not doing things in their life that making them grow in other aspects. So if they're cleaning floors, great. But you better be a damn good father or a damn good mother or, you know, doing a bit of this or, you know, investing in your family, doing something that's going to make you grow. Otherwise, man, what are you living for? Right? What are you what are you living for you for? You know, what are you doing for yourself? You know, you're not treating yourself and being able to nurture the the that part of yourself that you really deserve. So I think every day should be a a you know, you should be in service to yourself and and that should compound because you don't want to be the same person you are in your 20s as you are in your 30s and in your 30s and your 40s. You you don't want to be the same person. And if you are, it's like, damn. Have I have I missed out on an opportunity to to better myself? So yeah, there's some thoughts, man. Um, yeah, for me, it's like a balance of, of of gratitude. Like, where are you right now? Are you happy? Right, but at the same time, what can you work towards? That's really hard too. Yeah, yeah, man, absolutely. I think positivity in the workforce. Two things you said: positivity, surround yourself with positive people. Uh, people that want to build you up rather than tear you down. And that also includes teachers. Like you were saying that blame the kids. And I hear a lot of that. He's so stupid. Like what's dumb students. And I'm like, dude, like that's why you're here. Maybe, maybe you're not reflecting. Maybe it's not them. Maybe it's you. And I, and I don't say that, but that's what I say to myself, right? If I have those kind of students, if I'm having situations like that, I sometimes get irritated and I might like let something slip, but I always try to reel it back. And I try to remember that, no, th this is my job is to struggle through this with those kids and to try to reach them in, in this world that is so entertainment based rather than education based. You know, we, we got devices on all these kids and dude, I really think devices shouldn't, I, I don't know. I have really strong opinions about it. 
Uh, I don't think kids should have them until they graduate high school, then they can get a smartphone. But that's that's a different story. I'll sorry to all those people listening that might love theirs dearly. But like you said, also, I don't want to be the top. I think that is so important that there is always something to strive towards, always a way to uh, improve, because that's really what life is, is just becoming the best version of yourself. And it's content continuity, right? Like John Dewey said that education is a continuum. It's a continuum of practice, reflection, experimentation, and then re-implementation, right? So he says it's a continuum that never ends. And um, yeah, so I, I, that is what I'm missing right now, uh, Stephen, is is I, I really want people above me that inspire me. I want more positivity. There's a lot of negativity at my place. And um, I, I'm doing my part. Um, but I do like helping others. And it there is a greatness to, for me personally of service towards others and helping them uh, attain uh, their goals and et cetera. But you're right. I need someone above me um, for sure. And uh, this is why I believe that we have God is because God is that ultimate destination that is pretty much unattainable, but it's always there within grasp. And so, you know, I think we need people to follow. We need humans that, that, that to model behavior, to teach us new things, to help us uh, endure the storm of life and professional uh, development um, for sure. But I believe this is this notion of why we, this is why we, we need God and why I personally need God is because that always gives me something to work towards. So I want to get out of this school, man, but I'm finishing my master's degree. I should be done uh, at the end of this year. So December-ish uh, and that I'm going, I'm going to start my own search associates account. Uh, I'm a little tight financially right now, but probably next month. Uh, because I need that, man. Even at these international schools, there's always going to, or higher level schools, these these better environments, there's still going to be people that I can be of service to. And I can absolutely be of service to people that are much better and more talented and more skilled than I am. I can still be of service to them. But you're right. You are the average of the people you surround yourself with, the five people you surround yourself with, or, you know, you are part of your environment. And if it's not the environment where you want to be, that's going to provide you the best growth opportunity, then that's how we know it's time to move on. And so I know it's time for me to move on, but I got to finish a couple more things so I don't have the stress of a new school and my master's degree. Yeah, to totally. And I think, yeah, I think the stepping stones, if you look for the stepping stones in, in, in life, you'll find them and you'll find the next opportunity and you'll find the way to empower yourself for that opportunity to take place because you're, you're kind of subconsciously, you know, working towards that, you know, so it's like underneath or even without being aware of it, you know, that you're going somewhere else and you know, that you're going somewhere better, or you know, that you there's something, there's something more. So I think that's a huge, like, it's like a psychological shift of, you know, I'm here now and I'm contributing and I'm doing my best and I'm growing, but there's something more for me later. And I'm, I'm when the opportunity comes, I'm going to be ready for it. And there's something inside of that, like knowing your worth. It's like to have that mentality. It's like, well, you know who you are as an individual and your worth on the marketplace generally is that you're, you know, 
like what I'm getting paid now is probably a good salary for what I'm doing, but soon I'm going to be able to do more and I'm going to be reward, rewarded accordingly. So maybe one philosophy is you're getting paid exactly what you deserve at this time for what you're doing, right? No way, dude. <laughs> Not <laughs> and for me right now. A lot of people might find that suck, but um, I would say that's true. You know, like when I look back at my jobs, when I worked my first job, my when I first real pay job is I worked at a fruit shop and I got paid, it was like six bucks an hour or something, $6 an hour. And, you know, that's that's what I was worth in the marketplace. And, you know, my my first teaching job was a volunteer job and I earned two minimum salaries in, in Colombia. And then my third when my then my first real teaching independent um independent teaching job i earned it was like 2.1 million pesos a month which was it's like 500 us dollars a month but really for the experience that i had and what i was doing i probably that's what i deserved and then you know bit by bit you earn more money as you contribute more and have more experience so you know there is the marketplace out there and the more that you skill yourself up and like a master's degree or, or, you know, more experience, more insight, more to offer, better quality, whatever that you're doing, the market surely is going to pay more for that. Right. Um, as long as you're in a job that you get paid based on, you know, your ability, your performance, you know, the quality of your performance or your quality of your productivity or your quality of, you know, your immediate impact. And if that's a, also like a, a, a quantifiable thing, if it's somewhat tangible, right? You know, you're, you're, you're teaching kids an a, for an AP exam and your kids get high scores in an exam. That's quite tangible. You know, your reputation is kind of based on that too. So yeah, man, I feel like there's going to be great, you know, once you have that master's degree, I think a lot of doors are going to open, man. You know, like that's that's what I feel. Yeah. And I do, I would just like to say that I do feel like I am capable now of moving on um, for sure. Because if you sat me in a room with with a panel of, of a hiring team at a high level education system or uh, school, I, I, I know how to talk to them. And I can answer their questions because I have the knowledge and the experience. The only last few classes I have right now are my research and my thesis. The next class I'm taking is actually really awesome. It's literature, teaching literature and writing. And that's my focus. So it's like the elective that I chose. And, uh, but after that, dude, it's just research <laughs> and, and a thesis. And that isn't g gaining me skills except for how to write a, a long thing, a thesis, right? Uh, which I feel I already know how to do. But I'm just saying, um, I, I know you, Stephen, and I worked with you at at those first jobs. Um, we weren't at the same school in our very first teaching, but we were at our the same school in our second year of teaching. And I know you've always been worth more than what they're paying you. However, you, you know, we, we have to accept these things because they are businesses and they need to, you know, the more money they have, the better food they can provide for their students. So of course, new teachers, you know, we have to go through those. We have to go through those rings of fire. We got to, you know, build up our tenure, build up our experience, and then we can start to demand a, a higher salary. And so I know you were worth, because I saw you, I worked with you. You took your job very seriously and you were of, you were like really, really good 
uh, material for these schools, uh, but they just, again, they want years of, of service and years of practice and, and experience before they're willing to part with more money. Um, but I'm so happy that you've got through it and that you are where you are now. Um, I think, you know, I, I think that I'm worth a lot more than I'm getting paid right now, but that's okay. Like I, I understand my school and, uh, What's good is that if I go in there and say, I need this and this and this for the students, they will buy it and they will give it. So I, I have other ways of reaping, you know, trying to get the money back from what the students pay for the school. Um, but I believe I'm worth more, but that's okay. I accept my position. It's allowing me to create my own units of work. I mean, there's so much flexibility. So it is allowing me a lot of great experience, um, but I am ready to move on um, for sure. Uh, I'd like to finish this. I, I am going to finish this year. And because of the calendar shift to your calendar, uh, I'll have to do the first quarter uh, at my same school next year. But that's okay. All my work's done. Like I won't have to do anything. I could focus on like getting ready for my new job, right? Um, building units of work or whatever I'm doing at that time. And I'll be done with my master's. So um, yeah, man, uh, you got to go through those things. And we're not always going to be compensated in the way that we want, but you know, that is the journey. That's the adversity. And that's what we have to continue to go through. Um, and with perseverance, all things will come to light and fruition, I believe. Yeah, well, I appreciate you saying that. You know, I definitely took job seriously. I definitely took my job seriously. And it was it was hard and intense. But I think, you know, we, we grew a lot working uh, in those first formative years in teaching. And it was it was definitely challenging. But you know, let me ask you this. Do you feel like you're worth more money now? Okay. You said that you do, but did you feel like you're worth, you know, like what if you, if you, from the moment that you took that job, did you feel like you were taking a salary that was beneath you or kind of, do you feel like you could have been earning more money when, when you first took that job? Well, you could always earn more. <laughs> There's hmm. nothing wrong with a little more, but no, True. I think that I think that they compensate, you know, for my experience and the inconsistency of my early teaching experience, you know, and the lack of like longevity with one age group, I think I was paired. I was paid fairly for sure. Right. I so, do. yeah. So maybe like, I agree with you, man, that we, I think we would definitely worth more, especially, you know, like with, with saying totally respectfully that coming as foreigners into a, another country um, and then making that transition you know, also making sacrifices of like things that you lose being a foreigner coming into a, into a, into a foreign country. Um, but yeah, I would just argue now that you're worth more now based on all that great experience that you have and all that adversity that you've overcome to be as effective as you, as you are. And now you're ready for the next stage. And now you're really, really worth a big chunk of money more because you're not the same educator that you were three years ago. Right, the skills that you have in your toolbox now are completely different. You have a diverse, diverse, really eclectic range of tools that you can implement effectively. That makes you like a super, like a superhuman version of who you were like three or four years ago, whenever you started that at the school, right? And then that's not even thinking about your 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 university education. Of okay, let's just focus on you had a great, um, great undergrad diploma or, or great studies, university studies. And then now let's get a degree that focuses on pedagogy and education. It's going to make you better in the classroom immediately. And you're just about to finish that. Well, damn straight, you're worth more money, right? So 
Yeah. Like I think I just, all I'm saying is I think we got to be grateful for those experiences that have shaped us. And I think if you've made the effort and grown and not everybody does, there are still people in that school then from the moment that we left and they're still earning the same amount of money, maybe a little bit more, but they, they've been, you know, you've left that school six years ago. They're still there six years ago, right? Because yeah. they haven't outgrown that job. And I think that's the lesson is that, you know, in lots of jobs where you're getting paid to be intellectual, is that I think you kind of want to outgrow that job. So you want to learn more, do more, take on more responsibility, be in servitude and, and you know, expand your, your skills so that, you know, it's like, all right, what's the next thing I can teach and what's the next thing I can do to grow? And I think that um, at the same time, then you should be being financially rewarded for it. So, yeah, man, I agree. Um, but we got to wrap this thing up, man. It's like it's getting late on my end. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I guess any last kind of words about about this topic that you want to share? Yeah, first and foremost, I just want to say that you um, uh, you've inspired me. I know I've been at the same place for a while, but you've inspired me to keep climbing the ladder because as I've seen your career develop over this time. Uh, these last five, six years, and you keep pushing yourself. You do, you do not sit in the comfort zone. You keep looking for the better, the, the better environment for your level and where you want to be. And so I, I take my hat off to you and I, and I, and I wish I worked with you. I really wish we could share an office again. And maybe one day in the future we can. But for now, this is our office, right? And I learn from you every day, or well, every podcast, every time we, we talk, even just messages, I learn something. And so I'm, I'm grateful uh, for my experience and knowing you. Um, but also, yeah, this, this, this journey, to, like I really highly recommend that if you want happiness, you have to keep pushing. You got to keep pushing. And like Steven said, if you get comfortable in your job, you're probably not doing anything new and exciting and you're not growing if, if, it's, if there isn't like some sort of adversity along the way um, or challenge. I could just call it challenge. Um, so, you know, if you spend the, uh, such a large percentage of your life in your job. And so if, you know, you want to be happy, if you want to be a good uh, husband or a good, um, father or a good friend, I think your ambition and your striving in your work, in your profession is so important to your life. I mean, it is so important because it's who you are. And if you don't like your job, well, then what? How are you going to, how is that going to benefit you as a father? If you're, if you're always in like miserable because you don't like your work or if you're not growing, how can you teach children how to grow when you're not personally growing? Um, so I see this Personal development, professional development, I see it as really interrelated in many ways because you should do what you love. That is like the Ikigai diagram that I showed you where you have to do what you love. And like Steven said, if you are stuck, I mean, all things are changing all the time. Nothing is permanent. So if you are in a job that you don't like, make up for it in other areas. Learn, continue to learn take a, take a, take some classes like I am, um, get a new occupation or otherwise just volunteer. You know, you can learn a ton by volunteering, like, uh, you know, four hours on a Saturday at a museum. They'll train you about the artist that's on display. And then you just talk about it with people and you meet people. I mean, that's just little things. And then just strive to be the best parent you can. 
But the idea of the Ikigai Circle is to bring all these things together. Find your value, find your worth. How much money do you want to make? And then don't chase the money, but keep that in the mind. And then make sure you utilizing your natural talents, right? Because all of us have natural talents and, and talents that we develop. So utilize those so that there's meaning for those all that uh, learning that took place. Also do what you love so that when you wake up in the morning, you are excited to go to work. Uh, again, it's like, you know, you, yeah, you just want to be happy throughout your day because when you come home from a bitter negative work environment or even your own internal negativity, it will bleed out into the alternate environments, uh, into your family, relationships, friendships. You know, have I'm sure you've all had a friend who just comes and just you maybe have a drink with them or dinner and all they're doing is talking about the negativity of their job. And man, that's just so uncomfortable for everybody. Nobody even though we want to be good listeners and help that, like listen to our friend, you know, it doesn't feel good to, to listen to that, uh, you know, negativity. And so, you know, and then always serve the world, man. So I am a big, I'm a big fan of service. And I believe that there's power in service and freedom. And um, yeah, uh, it, I think it just gives us ultimate purpose. Um, we can go to bed at the end of the long life, knowing that we tried to make the suffering reduce. So that's about it, man. That's what I would say is just keep strong, know yourself, be reflective. Don't point your finger at other people because there's always three fingers pointed back at you. You should be looking at yourself three times more than you're pointing your finger at others. Take uh, responsibility for your actions and accept accountability. Um, and just be a good person. And I promise success, whether financial or just spiritual, emotional success, if you follow these these guidelines. Yeah, maybe have a buddy to chat about it too, because you know, that's what I kind of value with our friendship is that, you know, we get to share great ideas. Um, I think we're both quite philosophical by nature. And it's kind of like, you know, I learn stuff off you too all the time. And it's going to dip even, you know, even if it's a different perspective, that's still learning something and thinking about something or, or an ideology or an idea or, you know, perspective that I didn't consider. And then it, you just have more to to more options and ideas to select. So I think, you know, surrounding yourself with good friends that challenge you and, and you can talk about and give you real, actually listen to what you're saying. You know, it's just when we're having a conversation and, you know, it's, it's, it's really such a, a beautiful thing to listen to that person and respond thoughtfully based on what they've said. You know, I think that's the, the basis of great dialogue and you can learn a lot from that person and you can, you know, it, it, it sort of puts a mirror back on you, you know, to say, oh, well, really, is this who I am? And this really what I'm doing? And that, that friendship, I think is very powerful as, as a, as a, a tool of growth, because, you know, when you're really outlining how you feel about something or, or your perspective or um, an issue and you're getting real feedback and you can think about it, consider that and, you know, incorporate it into your own ideology, you know, surely that's just going to enhance your ability to make good critical thinking decisions, right. And give you better tools. So yeah, man, appreciate our friendship too, bro. It's been really nice. Good. Um, Yeah. It's been six and a half years since we met back in the day and in that little pueblo in yeah, Villa Vicencio. The beginning of this journey of education, man, is 
been it's been fascinating. It's been wonderful. Oh yeah, so much. It's been and... treacherous at times too. I have to, <laughs> to, have to. You can't leave out the bad stuff, or else you don't have a good story. Um, well, yeah, I was I was in um like a little like a barrio, like a little neighborhood here in Bogota called um, Galadias today. And basically I, I recognized a, a pub that I went to after we had this, because we, we uh, human, yeah, we, we, I worked with the same um, human resource company that you did, right? It was, it was uh, personal growth. Coincidentally, yeah. it was personal growth. Wasn't a lot of, <laughs> that was the <laughs> irony, ironic name for that company. Yes. And uh, you and I both started at that company and I, I walked past there with my wife today and it was like, wow, there's the bar that I had a beer with these dudes when I was, you know, starting my journey with this company and they put me into that school in Vizhou and, and I could have worked in the big city and I chose to work out in, in Vizhou to have kind of like a more authentic um, Pueblo experience, you know, like real culture experience. And like, I walked down the street and I recognized parts of it. I'm like, I can't even recognize that version, that professional version of who I am. Right. So that's a really cool thing to do is to go back to somewhere you were when you started that journey and reflect on how much you've changed. Well, it's just mind blowing. Like when you put the work in. Yeah. It's, it's so ironic that the name of that place, cause that is the beginning of our journey, right? We volunteered uh, for the government of Colombia and that was the beginning, but then we were searching for more and we landed at personal growth. And no matter what, you know, it's a great name. It's a great name. <laughs> and it really has meaning in our life today. But man, thank you so much for this discussion. This has been a wonderful uh, experience for me and uh, um, looking forward to the next chat. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's a, that, that's a good way to send this one until next time. Yeah. Likewise, brother. Thanks for your ideas, thoughts. Thanks for sharing your stories. Hopefully some people got a, a listen out of that and they enjoyed it. And yeah, it was great to chat. So, all right, man. Thanks again, brother. It was, it was good chatting to you. Take care. Say love you. Charles.